I'm Sonia Morton Firth and you're tuned in to the Sonia Morton Firth Show. I, so I think the public have a, a zero tolerance towards terrorism, but they don't have a zero to tolerance towards organized crime. And I say that because people think nothing about buying drugs. I, I say not everybody, but there are too many people who think buying drugs is just okay. There are too many people who think nothing about buying counterfeit goods because they're getting a cheap bargain. Too many people think about getting their, you know, their cars washed on a Saturday morning by Romanians that have turned up at a disused car park somewhere. Uh, and yet all of these things are indicators of organized crime. So there isn't that zero tolerance towards organized crime as there is towards terrorism. But organized crime kills more people more often, repeatedly, and nobody seems to get too excited about it. What sort of figures are we talking about? I'd say well, on the organized crime side, because we hear the figures on the news if someone's, you know, if a terrorist has blown up. So, so, so last year, uh, in Northern Ireland, we lost 190 people because of drugs. 190 people. That's probably in the top three or four years of the numbers of people who died because of terrorism over the course of the troubles. And yet, where's the public outcry? Where's the cry that we need to do more about this? We need to stop this happening. Um, I think the figures in England and Wales are even more dramatic. Scotland has had its most um, deadly year because of drugs overdoses and drugs deaths, and yet the public outcry just isn't there. So I would contend that you're more likely to be the victim of organized crime than you are of terrorism, but there is this righteous and very proper zero tolerance towards terrorism. But I think people need to be more aware of the fact that organized crime is, first of all, a supply and demand. So people who are involved in organized crime supply a service, whether it's drugs, whether it's counterfeit goods, whether it's you know young girls in brothels. That service is provided because there's a demand. Where does the demand come from? Well, it comes from people that you meet. It comes from your neighbors, your friends, your brothers, your sisters. If I was to use my laptop now and using the Wi-Fi from the hotel, I could, and I please forgive the expression, I could order a woman to be brought to this hotel room within 15 minutes. And would that woman be coming of her own accord? Because that's a very different matter. There yeah. are people who, uh, and they're, for the most part, they are, they are women who are voluntarily uh, living their lives as sex workers. There are people who do that, and that's uh, legitimate. People might have a view on that, but it's their choice, yes, their bodies, yeah. their livelihoods, mm -hmm. and I, I accept that. But the greater number of people that are being used in brothels are being trafficked, which means that if you're a man, it's predominantly a male uh, purchaser and a female supplier, awful terms, but you'll understand what I mean. But if you're a man going into a brothel, you're part of the problem because you're the demand side of that problem. And you're going into a brothel where more often than not, there are young women there who didn't set out when they were teenagers, when they were young teenagers, to say, when I grow up, I want to come to London and uh, sell myself to strangers six, seven, eight times a day. This is rape for profit. It's rape for profit. Young women are being... Uh, are being raped repeatedly on a daily basis in rented accommodation, in hotel rooms, 
in uh, in other premises on a daily basis, almost in every town, city, and uh, and village around the countryside. My theory is this: this is the culmination of many years of government intervention. What we're seeing now, uh, people think this is a two-year-old thing. It's not really. This is just the culmination of stuff that's been going on probably since the war, um, where the state has increasingly taken an active role in how you lead your life, what you eat, how much exercise you should have, how to stand at the ATM, whether you can look at cigarettes. You, you either treat the population that you represent as adults or you treat them as children. And for years now, we have been treated like children and we've been infantilised, I think. And that's why people, that you see so many idiots wearing masks, because they are so used to deferring to the state their own health, their own ability to think for themselves. They don't even, they don't even question anymore. So on, on the masks, and, and Fred, I will come to you, but um, uh, you know, Boris literally, as we, sp as we speak now, yeah. um, today is the first day he's just brought masks back in Ooh. as mandatory in yeah. certain shops. Um, if I was to play de de devil advocate, um, and you said you, you don't, you, you don't no, wear don't masks, have, don't have one, no. um, well, aren't you, will you be spreading your germs or your co potential COVID well, if you have it? Well, I have been spreading germs since I was 12. But the germs... <laughs> All kinds that... of germs. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I think the, the, it, it, what's interesting is you, there's, a, there's a piece from Dr. Hillary, um, which was recorded about a year ago, saying how pointless marks, masks are. Um, there was a massive teachers' conference, uh, and they're all packed in a room together, having a lovely time. Not a single mask in sight. That's and a yet, teaching awards, and that's the teaching awards. And those very same people will go back to their schools and tell the kids to wear masks. The whole thing is a complete and utter scam. It's theatre. It's theatre, and um, you know, you see people walking into a restaurant with a mask on. Then they, 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 they take the mask off when they sit down and then they put it back on when they're at the toilet. I mean, come on. I mean, it makes no it, sense it makes to, no, to no. me that they're saying you can wear it in pubs and restaurants because COVID isn't allowed there. It's obviously no. underage. Yes. But you have to wear it in Marks and Spencers yeah, yeah. or, you know, the, the chemist. Yeah. It, it just, for me, well, is COVID not coming yeah, into yeah. certain shops or is it, yeah. see, it, it just doesn't make well, sense. There's a guy on Twitter, he was talking about a club he went to and he had to wear a mask at the bar to order a drink. But then when you're on the dance floor, you take it off. Oh, well, see, COVID doesn't like dancing. <laughs> on the same it's got two left feet. But, yeah, exactly. <laughs> for me, it's just, a, just, just think for yourself. Just think for yourself. Does it make sense to you? How do you think we can bring our society together? Actually, quite easily. I, I really do. Yeah. And, and it is literally, you make yourselves ungovernable and you don't comply. You just go, no, we're not doing that. It's, 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 it is as simple as that. Even just to give, make governments look at themselves. Because at the moment, if you comply, and I happen to think wearing a mask where it's not law is you, it's a manifestation of your compliance. I happen to think that. People can, are welcome to disagree. That's my, that's my position. Um, and I think you don't comply with, um, when you go to a shop, if they say you wear a mask, you just say no. That, that is it. Because first of all, there's no, there's the, the, the science to support masks is almost, it's, it's, it's very weak. And I think you need, to, as, a, as a society, as taxpayers, as citizens, the public, etc., we just need to go, okay, enough is enough. Let's draw a line under this and let's start again and have this uh, an adult conversation about what's going on. But if you continue this compliance, if you continue this subservience, which I think is exactly what it is, I think you're going to end up in a very dark place. I happen to think the, there's an awakening in a lot of people. I know you don't see it on the mainstream news, but the protests across 
the world now are quite extraordinary, protesting in places where protests are illegal, like in, like in Italy. I'm at ease with myself. I've learned about it and ways to help it. And obviously singing is the main reason that, you know, that is over, I've overcome the Tourette's and I've learned to live with it. If we take you back to, say, the early days when you were suffering from the Tourette's, can you think of the low po a low point that you were at? I think a low point for me would be, I remember having a really bad day at school, um, secondary school. It was actually just before I was diagnosed, uh, but the Tourette's had already come out because it took a year to get the diagnosis. Oh, wow. So I was at school and obviously missing my sister and I remember almost close to crying at school and, and I was sat in an IT class, IT, ICT or whatever it's called. And I was just, I had my headphones in because you weren't allowed to, but I always used to just try and get away with it. And I remember the teacher just went mental at me and that was it. I, I completely lost it. I said, right, I've had enough, got my bag and I left and I just walked out of the school. And that was probably the lowest moment because I wasn't a naughty kid. I would never just walk out of school. I, I you know, I'd be scared of doing that. But yeah, I, I, ha I had had enough. I'd come to the end of, of my tether and I left. And as soon as I got back, my mum and dad had obviously had a phone call from the school to say that I'd walked out. And I always remember this, this brought it right back round for me. My dad was on the driveway giving me a round of applause. He was like, well done, Tom. He was like, I know your teachers have been giving you a load of jit and not understanding. He said, right, let's go back up there and give them what for. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he was always very supportive. And if I was having a down moment like that, he would understand along with my mum and they would bring it back round again and make, you know, a good outcome of it and understand me, whereas the teachers didn't. So that was my biggest difficulty. And the Tourette's had come out then, right? The, the Tourette's, Tourette's had certainly come out, yeah, quite badly, but obviously I hadn't had the diagnosis. So that was certainly my, my most difficult year, was going to appointment after appointment with a paediatrician and not actually having that diagnosis to say, this is what's wrong, mm. this is what we can do. There was none of that at that time. And so for that one year, I was seen as the naughty kid at school. I was in a detention every day and I literally had just had enough. You actually mentioned you found your purpose. Mm. Do you believe that? Do you think, OK, this is this is the right road I'm on? Yeah, I, I, yeah, 100%. I, I think as soon as I uh, found singing was a cure for my Tourette's and it was kind of like a win-win because people loved what I was doing. They enjoyed it. I enjoyed doing it. And not only that, I got to earn money from it. So there's thousands and thousands, millions of people that sit behind a desk every day, look at you and I doing what we're doing. Um, you know, you're doing your show and I'm doing my, my gigs and my singing. And I think from my point of view, that is winning in life. And I've always said, there's so many people that are in my industry for the wrong reasons. They're in it for fame and fortune. They see all these famous singers on stage and think, oh, that's what I want to do. I'll go on the X Factor or Britain's Got Talent. And okay, I've touched, you know, on those programmes before and I've been on The Voice. But that isn't why I started doing it. I started doing it because I love what I do. I love performing and I love seeing people's faces when I sing and enjoying themselves. And I get a real thrill out of that. Um, and, and I started off doing it for nothing, for free.
And that's because I love it. So to, to then obviously come out the back of that and it becomes my career is even better, even sweeter. I love it. I love that. You did mention the voice and we have yeah. to mention that. Now, Will I Am described you, I think, as freaking awesome. I don't yeah, think did. I've got that right. Uh, yeah. What was that like? How was it like being on The Voice? Because you didn't get through no. that. How did you feel? I did have a few issues. Uh, they were all great, um, but there was a, I suppose, uh, disagreement with the song that I sing for the Blind Audition. The producers rang me one day and they said, hey, we've got a song, Suit and Tie Justin Timberlake, but it's a, a cover version uh, that we found on YouTube and the band have started learning it. And I said, well, I haven't heard it yet. So I listened to it. And my opinion was that it was a great, great cover, but it was very backgroundy, very jazz sort of loungy, mm. almost like a restaurant style song in the background, you know, a nice, pleasant song in the background. So I rang them back and I said, look, I've had a listen to this song and I don't like it. I don't think it's got enough in it for me to show off what I can do vocally. But they don't, they, you know, they basically turned around and said, it's basically either that or not, not be on the show. So. I thought, well, they always say any publicity is good publicity. Mm -hmm. And to be on a show, which at the time I think was the most viewed show in the country on any TV programme or TV channel. So I thought, well, I can't miss the opportunity, even if it doesn't go the way I want it to. So I suppose that's not a great way of looking at it because I suppose I wasn't fully positive about the whole performance. Although I did go into it and I did do my best, but. I remember five minutes before, they literally gave me, a, my singing coach gave me a warm-up and we changed the ending. Oh no, five minutes before? Five minutes before. Worst thing I could have done. I said to her, I need to add a big note in at the end and I ended up not doing it and it just went silent at the end. And I had no turns and that note could have done it. I don't know whether it has, would have or not, but that could have been a defining moment. And I always look back at that and I always think, well, if you watch the video on YouTube, you'll see see my face and it just drops. You are in control. You can attract into your life whatever you want and whatever you do with what happens to you is up to you. So you're in control. I've got my own thing that I've worked out after 30 years that I call the science of success. Oh, really? There's only three things. Can you share them? I'll share them. Of course I will. The science of success. And it's guaranteed not to fail. But you see, once again, programming. If I, if I had a car, right, and I said to you, that car does 200 mile an hour, right? So you get in it, and you get to 120, and your bum starts tweaking, and you don't do 200 in it. Does that mean the car don't do 200 no, miles an hour? Or does it mean that you weren't prepared to do what it took to get it to do 200 yeah, miles yeah. an hour? So you come back to me and I said, well, it's easy sitting there and I'll teach you how to do it. You pay attention and I'll show you how to do 200 miles an hour. Mm -hmm, yeah. But you ain't going to go from 120 to 200 without a few fears and falling off the thing. But eventually, once you know what you've got to do and it's possible, fill the gap in. Mm. And that's that's what this is all about. Everyone picks up a book, they go, oh, that's a good book. And they read it and they go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, got it, got it, lovely. Off we go up the road. And they feel all full of it. And then they stop. Your thought creates the feeling that creates the emotion 
and the emotion creates the result. Think about it. Who's in charge of your thoughts? Well, you are. Totally. Totally. Because you even think things, you can look at the same thing of me and think of something different. So you're in total control. That creates the feeling, creates the emotion, and the emotion creates the result. But everyone keeps saying in life, when I get there, I'll be all right. Yeah, I'll be happy. When that happens, I'll be all right. Yeah. Rubbish. Yeah. You've got to take it with you. Why miss out on the bit in between and be miserable? Hoping the journey it's is the be best. Right. It's got to be the best bit, hoping right? Hoping it's going to be Because you might right. never get there. You've got to take control. So what happened was I'd known all this stuff. I'd read it all. Read all the bits and yeah. pieces of that, you know, think and grow rich and all. Yeah. I've done that, yeah. done me bit, I've done me apprenticeship on it. And all the time things are going well, which they have to most of my life. They're not, everything's not bad in my life. It's, most things are Sounds terrific. Sounds wonderful. Right? But it was working because I was emotionally in line. In a good place. Right? Yeah. So it worked. So immediately, I'm now in the bones of my arse. I... The emotion's wrong. And everything's working perfectly. The emotion's creating the result. I'm feeling shit. What results am I getting? Shit results. Shit results. So I've got to do something to change my feeling. Because, see, in life, I always say you can't skip the steps. But the lovely thing is, if you've already been up them steps once, the second time up's a lot quicker. Because yeah, you haven't you know got to spend it's... time learning what's happening on yeah. that step. Like, yeah. I knew I've been in business and had 50-odd businesses in our time, you know, different things, everything from greengrocers to bloody care homes to garages, everything. And you matter. look at all the biggest entrepreneurs. Yeah, I mean, Richard Branson, he's had million, loads of businesses and, and they've had a few that have failed. That's why I can help them. Because it ain't got nothing to do with what you're doing. It's got one going up, up here. That's where the success comes from, up here. And you've got to allow your business to do what you want to do. I won't bore you with it, but I tell you, some clients I've got, they just absolutely can't believe it. They were sort of saying, well, I've got all this time on my hands, I've never earned as much money in my life. It's all up here. Because we're programmed. See, what we're programmed to do is pretend. Because we're all programmed to fit in. Right? So we have to pretend. Most people, you ask them a question, what would happen, say he's got a job, if you went home now, sat in your front room with your feet up with a newspaper and a cup of tea, and what would your wife think if she'd come in? Oh, I can yeah, do that. Yeah, oh, yeah, my yeah. God. God. No, yeah, yeah. Sugar, sugar Why? If you've got your own business and you've done that. Now, if you haven't got the mindset that if you've got nothing to do, you can't go and sit in the front room with your feet up with a newspaper and a cup of tea, you lose. You know, when I'm on my deathbed and I've inspired and, and helped a hundred million people and it's my time to go, then I'm fulfilled. But until then, I'm filling. I am <laughs> fulfilling, but I am not fulfilled. But that doesn't mean I'm empty. It just means I'm on the way and I've got lots more to do. So I, I, I'm a lucky person. I'm a grateful person. I'm, I'm probably one of the quite few people alive who loves what they do and do what they love and get to do that for a living and turn my passion into profession that's you know I feel very grateful but I'm not successful because I'm not done and I'm not fulfilled because I'm not finished do you ever look back though on everything that you've accomplished which is huge I mean I read some of the list and just go wow 
fuck, I've done a lot with my life. I'm, I'm pretty awesome, right? I mean, you know, you've got a, a lot of people that you, you talk to. I mean, I'm, I'm a big follower of yours. I listen to your content. I was listening to it today, walking along. Um, and, and, you know, you're, you're helping people. Is there no point that you just sit, having a nice cup of tea, you know, Sunday afternoon, and just think, I've done okay. If that was, if this was my time, I've done okay. No, never, never, never. Maybe I should more. Maybe I need therapy. I don't know. Um, but no, no. If I've got Sunday afternoon, I'm either going to spend it with the kids um, or hopefully do something fun, or I'm gonna I'm gonna get to work and expand the vision and the mission. And I'm never done. No, I mean. You know, I've got a lovely vinyl collection. I've got a really nice hi-fi that I, I sit and enjoy. I've got two amazing children. I've got a beautiful wife. I've got some nice cars. I live in a beautiful house. I've got my mum and dad. They're still alive. My wife's parents are still alive. We've got a lovely little dog. I've got lots of things that I've collected. I, I'm a very lucky guy and I've got a great life. But and I, And I appreciate it. So for those who can relate, we need to start now and get perfect later. We need to build it on the go as we go, not before we go. We need to continually improve and create um, improving iterations rather than trying to build the perfect model right at the start. So um, that would be my um, first piece of guidance for anyone wanting to start a business. The next would be to leverage the internet and social media and all these low friction, low barrier to entry, free platforms where you can reach millions of people. Clubhouse, Facebook pages and groups, other people's groups, not just your own. Instagram reels, TikTok videos, YouTube videos, YouTube shorts, podcasts and doing interviews. You name it. There are so many channels out there. And some people are, oh, but Rob, there's so many channels. I'm so overwhelmed. There's also so many opportunities to reach millions of people. So embrace it and leverage and make sure that your business is at least a, at the very least a hybrid model where parts of it can be delivered online and, and, and embrace this um, mass of momentum and uh, velocity of the Internet and of social media and of all these um, social media connecting platforms like the network effect is where um, more people are connected than ever before. And the, the quicker and what more wider reaching the network effect is, the more opportunity there is. So previous network effects might be rail or te radio, telecommunications or air travel. The internet was the greatest network effect ever. And now on that network effect of the internet, which reaches 5 million people out of 7 million people, then we can put things on it like currencies, cryptocurrencies, like social media platforms, like ad platforms, uh, like traditional media. These all leverage the existing network effect of the Internet. And so they compound this network effect. And I believe we should be leveraging that for our benefit as an entrepreneur. I personally think that debt is a trap. And I see a lot of people, let's say, you know, 19, 20, 21, 22, we all want the fancy car, so we get a car we oh, can't afford. Yeah. Or we get a credit card and we buy clothes we don't need. 
And initially you have that high of owning those possessions, but eventually those possessions are new. Why? I could move to Hong Kong and try this crazy uh, experience, which frankly is what made me successful because I didn't have a monthly bill to pay, right? As soon as I have a car on HP and I have my credit card bills to pay off, who's going to pay these things if I take a ridiculous chance and move out to a foreign country? Right? Do you think that's an age thing though? So... It was an age thing, but, but equally my parents, one of the reasons my father I think died of a heart attack in part was because he put himself under tremendous pressure linked to debt. Right. So, okay, so they, they, they made their money buying property, mortgaging it to the max, buying another property, mortgaging, mortgaging it to the max. And I think people think, oh, that's really clever. But there's also a moment where, you know, there's no such thing as cheap money. Right? People, the people that are lending you the money are not stupid. Okay? If there was money in home ownership, they would be owning the home. Right? Home ownership was designed to give the banks an opportunity to lend normal people, large amounts of money and put them in a situation where they have to pay monthly and in fact they're working for the banks. Right? So, Do you, do you not think there is a, a place, look, I, we're sitting in a rented place sure, sure. <laughs> at the moment. So sure. I'm, you know, I'm, and I own my home by the way. So, yeah. so, so I, I'm, I'm, I, I have a reason for the cycle and I think what I'm saying, when you're young, what I'm saying is, my, my view, my opinion mm -hmm. is, when you're young, don't get into debt. Yeah. Give yourself as much chance to experience the world. Travel. Oh, see, other, see other cultures, sleep yeah. on the sofa of a friend in Bangladesh, yeah. Yeah. go and have a week in Hong Kong with a, you know, meet a friend there. You know, give yourself the chance to experience what's out there because you won't discover who you are if you don't. And what ends up happening, and I see it a lot in, in England, is people born in the town they, they grew up in, they're comfortable and they buy a house in that town and then that house ends up owning them because they've got a monthly fixed cost. As soon as they have a monthly fixed cost, which is quite hard to, to, to reduce mm -hmm. or increase, but reduce, mm -hmm. they then have to have a monthly income, right? And when you have to have a monthly income, starting your own business, having freedom gets really difficult because I can think for myself for the first you know, two, three months of my business, I wasn't paying myself anything. I was buying equipment. I was, I was hiring people. You know, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't paying myself any money, but if I had a credit card I had to pay, or I had, and my credit rating was going to go to shit if I didn't pay it. If I had these fixed costs that so many people build up, you get to a point where you can't make those freedom choices. So what you end up having to do is wait until you're 40 or later when you finally got yourself slightly out of the debt system to be able to have choices. But by that time, you've wasted 20 years of your life paying a mortgage for a house that could end up owning you. I think sometimes people want to make too much money too quickly or they have um, you know, a greed mindset. Right, so I remember in Fluid the first time we made half a million pounds profit. And I remember having a conversation with Helen, who I built this business with. She doesn't get enough credit. I'm always the one that sounds like I built the business on my own. I built the business with Helen. And I remember when we made that profit, I had a conversation with her. I'm like, Helen, we've, we've just made this profit. Should we just put it in our bank accounts? Maybe we could buy a flat with it and have some income on it. And you know, I, I had that moment mm -hmm. where I, 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 I'm going to call it a weak moment. And, and uh, she said, no, no, why don't we, you know, we, we, we need to get some new computers. Um, I wanted to hire this person the other day and it's just brilliant. And so why don't we invest in hiring this person? Why don't we buy everybody Herman Miller chairs, which everyone's got a Herman Miller chair. They'll tell you they're ridiculously expensive. So we basically, we, we reinvested all of that money back in the business and made the office nicer and, made, and just created a, a better working environment. And I think that's the reason the business continued to do well. If we take the money out and put it in our pocket. So it's about delayed gratification, yeah, right? Yeah. It, it's about... I don't, when I see people pitch, to your question, when I see people pitch, I have no problem with people having a model to make money. What I don't like to see is when people either think that the money is going to come quick or that the money is there to take out. So in other words, they might say to me, Simon, you put a million in and a year from now you'll get a million and a half back. 
right? I'm like, okay, you know, <laughs> sounds good. Sounds like a property flip, right? Yeah. Sounds yeah. good, yeah. but a lot of effort. A, a property flip, and I know you were in property, but you know, property flip to me, it is somewhat soulless, right? I can go buy a property, I do it up, I flip it, I make money. Okay, I'm sitting on money, but what? what? I'd rather put money into a business, build a brand I'm proud of that yeah. makes a difference in the world. And yes, maybe I don't, I don't need that half a million. I mean, I could buy a fancy car, but within a week that car's gonna own me anyway. I'd be scared it's getting scratched or I have to go get it maintained. Or have, you know, This money doesn't bring you happiness unless you're already happy. So I think invest in things that bring you happiness. Hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, there's a new interview out every Monday. So hit subscribe and like, and you'll get it straight into your inbox. I believe health is the greatest form of wealth we have, which is why I'm so excited to be partnered with Brother in Arms. Brother in Arms is a wellness brand dedicated to working with veterans, first responders, and anyone on the front line. Through their education, support, and premium CBD products, they help alleviate and restore the lives of those that have been affected by physical and mental trauma. Learn about the life-changing benefits and power of CBD. Join their community today. Hit the link below.